Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nehemiah. Well, we've been going through this book, and uh, for those that haven't been here through it, let me give a, a really quick background. Nehemiah has come from, from uh, Persia, you know, the Iran area, and he's come back to rebuild Jerusalem. He went to, to uh, the Persian, uh, uh, Medo-Persian Empire, and he, he was high up in the kingdom. He was like the number two guy who protected the king. And, uh, and he's, the king saw, had a solemn face one day and said, well, what's wrong? And he told him, he said, you know, my, my, where I'm from, my ancestors, their, their town is totally destroyed. There's no wall to protect them. And he goes, well, what do you want to do about it? He goes, well, let me tell you. And he told him, he said, this is the plan I have. And the king blessed it and he said, go back and rebuild. So he came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And he gathered the people that had been there for a long time that hadn't really done much. And through his leadership, they were able to rebuild this wall. And he was attacked from the people. He was attacked from inside and outside. And we've covered those over the, last, you know, the first nine chapters. And as we open up here in this part, we go back 2,457 years to a time when God's people came together, they rallied together, and they, they came to read the Word of God because they had rebuilt the wall. And in the middle of this celebration, they took time to, to pause from the regular daily life to study the Word of God. And as they studied the Bible, and it's just not head knowledge, uh, a lot of us, you know, it's, it's not like, well, that, you know, that's an interesting fact. I, I have never thought about it that way. And then you just keep on going. No, they did this with a, with a contrite heart. And they started changing. They started repenting. They started seeing their sins and going, Lord, forgive me for this sin. And they started seeing the sins of their families and their past and, and their country and saying, Lord, forgive us what, for what our forefathers have done. They worship and they reflected on how faithful God was throughout the years when them and their forefathers had not been faithful to God. And they started to understand that God wasn't to blame for the problems. God wasn't to blame for the 40 years that they spent out in wilderness that their forefathers did. It wasn't, the, you, know, what, you know, that was their fault. It wasn't God's fault. But God throughout it all remained faithful. So we pick up the story today in the middle of Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 9, verse 22. It says, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You took the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. 
You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into a land and told their, foref- uh, told their fathers to enter it and possess it. Their sons went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handed the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured four to five cities and fertile land. They took possession of the houses, filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full, uh, to the full and were well nourished. Now the sentence there, it says, they ate to the full and were, were well nourished. It's a very interesting word and phrase choice. You know what else the Hebrews, or you know what else the, the scholars could use as they, they transcribe this from the Hebrew language? You can substitute the word, Randy just said it, fat. They grew fat. They ate and were full and were getting fat. Such a lovely word, isn't it? Who here feels fat today? Okay, I, I've, I'm with you. I mean, come on. Fat. They got fat. It's an ugly word. Say the word fat. Everybody say it. Okay, we just got that out of the way. So now we can keep saying it. Touch the part of the body that's the fattest on you. Okay, Randy, I didn't say your wife. Don't touch your neighbor's fat. They got fat. They overindulged. They were spoiled. They didn't thank God for their excess or share it with other people. They gorged themselves. The blessing itself led to their downfall. They got spiritually fat. They got mentally fat. They had this layer of spiritual fat around their heart. God even compares them in Deuteronomy 32 to an animal. He says, Israel grew fat and kicked. You grew thick. You were covered in fat, God says. Then you forsake God who made you. So we laugh about the fat and we joke about it, but God is not really complimenting when he says, you grew fat and you kicked. Their downfall was that they had too much. Once you have more than what you needed, you don't feel like you need God anymore sometimes. We have got to deal with the fat in our life. Now, this message kind of hits close home to me because I like to eat. I have a love affair with food, especially at night. If I could just stop eating at night, you know, that, that after, my, after my evening meal about, you know, 5 o'clock, if I could just stop and not eat anymore, I'd be much healthier. This is what happened to Israel. They came out of the wilderness hungry, and God provided to them. Man, God just gave it to them. But they kept eating, and they became fat. They enjoyed life a little too much. They didn't rely on God for manna and water. 
because it was right there. They walked out of the house, the well was right there. They didn't have to go to a rock where God had water come out. They, you know, they, they became physically, mentally, and spiritually what? Fat. I think this relates to us also. Living in the year 2013, we struggle with all types of different fatness in our life. We live with so much excess, don't we? We don't even like to call it excess. Uh, we just don't need those things anymore. Oh, I cleaned out the closet. I just don't need them anymore. Well, some of us are going, well, they don't fit me anymore. But that's a whole different fat. We're talking about excess here. A little extra. We don't call it fat. We call it extra. We get used to it and think that this is our daily bread. It goes from our want to our need. Well, I need a better car. How many of you need a better car? Okay, I mean, I, mean, I mean, we all think that, don't we? I mean, my truck's getting up in years. I'm sitting there going, do I get rid of it? Do I not? Do I keep it? Do I, you know, what do you do? We all have something like that. Cell phones, well, I need that, you know, I need that, that, the new cell phone. When does it come out? I mean, the iPhone 5S is coming out soon, right? Yeah. Hmm. I need a new pair of shoes or clothes, and it can go on and on and on, especially when you have Amazon right in your house. See, none of these things we need, but our neighbor has them, so we think that we need them. We have a disease called consumption, don't we? It used to mean, you know, they had a disease called consumption way back. It means something totally different today. We have it, and our children have it. And when we see it in our children for those that have older kids, it disgusts us, right? Okay, I have a young one, so I need some reinforcement here, right? I can't believe they're acting like that. Do they not realize what they have? They have electricity inside the house. But, you know, where do they get this from? They get it from us. I mean, Lisa and I are going to have to work on not spoiling our child. We already spoil them too much, and we're trying not to. We're going to have to work on that. The reason is that they got it from us is because we don't use the word no, or we use it and we don't mean it. Have you ever done that? Use it, but you don't really mean it? I mean, right now, Brandon can be, oh, you know, he's two, and he can be such a pain. I mean, a pain. But sometimes he goes from being a pain to I'm like, uh, you're, you're, you're fixing to go into a timeout. We haven't really got to that stage. We are a little bit, and we have to put him down ever so often. But then he starts being so stinking cute. And we're like, no. Don't do that. And we're smiling. I mean, you know. Oh. He will cry and cry, and I'll give him that look. And he knows I'm not giving in, so he cries more. Only ever so often. But we have so much available to us. Our biggest downfall in life is excess or fat. The sense of not needing or appreciating God. This is why Jesus said it was impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We rely so much on ourselves and our own riches that, that we've built up that it becomes weight a troubling thing that causes us not to be contented. We may even thank God for his provision, but never ask why, God, why have you blessed me like this? 
Now, have you noticed that we have a holiday around November called Thanksgiving? It kind of gets crowded in with, with Halloween and then Christmas, and, and Thanksgiving is just kind of shoved right in there. The stores really don't know what to do with Thanksgiving. Retail does not know what to do with it. Because it's not really, I mean, you buy food, and that's it. You don't, it's not a, you know, it's not Halloween with costumes and all that. It's not Christmas with presents under the tree. I mean, they love Halloween, and they go straight to Christmas. Why? Because they can't sell us stuff. They sell us a turkey. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to hang out with family and be thankful. Therefore, nothing to sell us. They don't make a lot of money. So on Thanksgiving, what do we do? We overeat. <laughs> and then we watch football. You know, a game that, that we would never watch any other reason. I mean, you know, we act like it's an important game. But Detroit, Dallas, I mean, since when is that a good game? But we act like it's a, <laughs> a great game. We're thankful on that day. Even people who don't believe in God are thankful, which is really weird to me. I mean, my question to them is this. Who are you thinking then? Evolution? Darwinism? I mean, that's good because this turkey that we're eating used to be a lizard. I mean, the whole meal just happened. It was an explosion in the kitchen and it just came out. I mean, we can even be around those who are thankful and still miss the question, God, why are we so blessed? Why do we have so much excess and extra? And then say, please, show us what to do with it. See, we can consume the provision and forget the provider because we need to start connecting with the producer. What are we going to do with what God has given us? But we consume and consume and consume, and then one day we wake up and say, why do I feel so far away from God? Why do I feel like I'm not really connecting to Him? I mean, I go to church, and I sing, and I pray, and I I listen to the weird guy up front talking some, and then I kind of get on my phone. But I do all that, but I, I don't really feel connected with you, God. One of the reasons is that we're, we are so fat, There's a layer of fat between us and God. Are you tired of me using that word yet? The Lord is trying to tone us up and get us into shape. That's the danger of abundance and wealth, is that it's a trap laid for us, the trap of wealth. Every one of us is in this boat. I don't really feel that wealthy there, Alan. I don't feel like I have excess. Have you looked around the world lately? Is your town at war? Has your country been at civil war for years and years and years? And you're thinking, well, in politics, yeah. No, I mean where homes are destroyed and sewer systems are not existent. Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have more than one pair of shoes or one set of clothes in your closet? I mean, I I would ask, but I don't want to embarrass everybody. How many of us have a closet full of too many clothes? Where, you know, everything gets wrinkled because you're trying to squish it in there. You've got to push some clothes aside, put the shirt back in, and it comes right back out. And you're like, how does that get all wrinkled? I think you understand what I'm getting at. We think everyone else is wealthier than us. But when the Bible talks about wealth, 
and being wealthy. He's talking to us. We always think it's the other guy. You know the other churches down the street, of course, right? The ones with the bigger buildings. The ones with a huge budget, right? That's what we're talking about, of course. When Jesus said it's impossible for the wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he was talking about us. Look at your neighbor there and say, Jesus was talking to you. Okay, you're not doing it. Okay, a little louder. Jesus was talking to you. Because he was. He was talking to all of us. You know, the first time I went to Africa, it really changed me, at least for a while. I mean, a few weeks. Drove other people crazy. Went from Africa to a country that was in civil war for 37 years, where the tanks rode through the streets. Now, I didn't go there when the war was happening right in that town, of course. It had been kind of you know, relaxed a while for that. The, the fighting was outside and hundreds of miles away in the country. But tanks had gone through the streets and crushed all the sewer lines and all the water lines. So they didn't really have that much sewer and water. You know, they, a lot of, you know, big five-gallon jugs of water, buckets, you know, paint buckets. That was their drinking water and they're carrying it around. I mean, a lot of stuff like that. I went from that to working to, at a Christian college with 18-year-olds that didn't know how good they had it. you talking about driving, you pulling your hair out. Man, we don't realize how good we have it, do we? We have this fat layer over our eyes, and we don't even realize it. I mean, even this morning, we, we consumed how much on our way here? You know, I could spend the next 20 days talking about just one day in my life, right? 20, did I say 20 days? I meant 20 minutes. I could talk 20 days with that too, yeah. We all could do the same. How good do we have it and how much do we consume? So I'm not surprised when the Bible says that God's people have become spoiled and they don't appreciate it. I'm not surprised when God's, God's word says that. I'm not shocked when the, when the Bible says that the rich become blind to reality. I'm not shocked when it says that riches can wreck your life or, or riches put a layer of fat on you. So you have a hard time connecting with God and, con, you know, and connecting with others. I'm not shocked when the Bible says that riches can ruin our experiences in this life. Because we need to learn how to share more, don't we? I mean, sometimes I think instead of buying a new pair of shoes, when ours get a little dirty or a little worn down or whatever, maybe we should think about what we need to do with this money. How do we spend it on others? Because once we start doing that, other people will recognize that and follow the same way. See, I think that everyone should go on a mission trip. It will totally change your perspective, especially if you go somewhere where, where people are starving. I mean, I tell you, on, on one trip, our regimen for lunch was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we had people complaining about that before the trip. You mean that's all we're going to eat, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch? And we, we pre-made our sandwiches and stuff, and, and we were you know, working with the kids and all that. And it's time for, for lunch for us because we've been working hard all day long and putting in you know, energy, time doing some construction, some people doing VBS with the kids, doing a lot of stuff, working with a, a church and working with an orphanage. 
And then we get out our peanut butter jelly sandwich and we see the kid over there. And you're sitting there going, I can't eat this. And you go and you give it to that kid, but you need energy too. So when you get back to the hotel, you eat. You say hotel, why hotel? Well, this particular place we were in wasn't safe enough for us to to stay with families. We had to stay in hotel with protection. Now, at the same time, I don't want you feeling too guilty. You know, I, I like a vacation as much as you do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying never go on a, a nice vacation. But I'm saying that we need to see the other, si- other side of life also. Go somewhere where God can speak to you personally about the fat that you have. Now, it may not be the fat in your wallet. It may not be the physical fat. It may just be the spiritual fat. But unless we wake up, the fat just keeps adding another layer and another layer. You know what I'm saying? You go in my office, you look up into the bookshelf, you'll see a picture of me when, and Lisa when we got married, and people look at that and go, well, who's that guy? He's skinny. He's got little round glasses on. But he's really skinny. Man, I weighed 149 pounds when I got married. We're not going to say how much I weigh now. Yeah. Randy's going, yeah, fat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Unless we wake up, the excess can be so unhealthy. There was a writer in Proverbs 30 who said, give me neither riches or poverty. Neither, he said, neither. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread or what I need daily. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still to dishonor the name of, the, of my God. God, I used to tell you everything that I needed. And then I went from, from telling you everything I needed, and now I'm at a point where I say to you, Lord, you're the doctor. Prescribe me what you think I need. Prescribe it. You know, we, we have a family doctor that I go to, and I go to him because it's easy to get antibiotics from him. You just go in and you can tell him, I need this, I need that, and he just gives it to you. And I'm sitting there shaking my head, kind of going out, going, okay, well, if I really have a serious problem, I'm not going to go to him. But man, when, when we were having Brandon, we, you know, Lisa had fibroid issues and other stuff. We went to this doctor, and, and we didn't find out till later, but she, she was a Christian and everything. She's talking about how our, our son is just a miracle baby on how it happened and with the fibroids and all. That's a whole long story that I won't go into. But man, we trust her. Whatever she prescribed, whatever she said to do, we did because she proved herself trustworthy. And that's what we need to say to God. Lord, you proved yourself trustworthy. You're faithful, so prescribe to me what you think I need. I'm going to work hard, Lord. I'll be diligent and not lazy. I'll be creative and, and intelligent. I'll work smarter, not harder, Lord. And at the end of the day, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And it's going to be enough for me. I will be contented and satisfied. I will stop looking around at everybody else. And I'll quit complaining. Man, isn't that so hard to quit complaining? 
How many of us complained this morning? I did. Anybody, any other, anybody else want to admit it? Yeah. Man, if we could just quit complaining. Well, Lord, this is what I really wanted. Even though you gave me this other stuff, I really wanted this, but that stuff didn't really help me. I want to say to God, God, somehow I'm going to grow through this and actually grow up in my life and exercise some spiritual muscles. And the way I'm going to do this is start by sharing. We need to share more. This is how we we exercise those spiritual muscles. On our trip to, to Angola, Africa, like I said earlier, we took as little as possible with us because our luggage was full of other stuff that we were taking. But we also came back with literally nothing because we were just giving it away as we left. At that point in my life, I didn't need the Nehemiah 9 rebuke in my life. But now, I'm along with most of you that need the Nehemiah Nehemiah 9 rebuke. God constantly saying to us, come on, share. Come on, give a little bit more. Come on, sacrifice. Like a good personal trainer who says, come on, come on, Alan, three more reps. Come on, you can do this. Come on, come on. No, don't stop. We need that personal trainer. Come on, push yourself. This is what I'm saying to you as as a pastor and your personal trainer. Push yourselves towards sharing. One of the things that I've always wanted to implement, maybe we'll talk about it, maybe we'll do this, is a sharing Sunday where once a month we give a little extra in a special envelope that that we have to share with other people. You know, we have so many people that come to our doors. We we push them down to, to emergency aid as much as possible. We don't like to carry money here and keep it around just because of, you know, the... Uh, I mean, two things. Security is one, but secondly, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, we have people that, that church hop in the area and they just go from one church and then they go to the next and they live like that. They just get money from churches. In fact, I mean, it's gotten to the point where, where a lot of the churches have a list of people. If this person shows up at your door, push them down to emergency aid. You know, I mean, it's sad. But within our congregation, Man, when someone comes to us and says, I need some help, we don't have to go, well, let me see how much I have in my budget. Let's see how much, you know, how much can we squeeze out and worry about how much we have. But to go, well, how much do you need? Okay, let's talk about this. Here it is. You know, it used to be called the benevolence fund. You know, you took some from your overall budget and you just put it in a fund just for that reason. But I think that's a wrong way about it. I think it should be extra, the Lord exercising our spiritual muscles pushing ourselves to, to, you know, toward giving. It's good for us. That's what the Lord says. The Apostle Paul teaches this as well. I mean, after traveling the whole known world, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He said, you know what I've learned, guys? I mean, remember, this is the Apostle Paul teaching. He's talking to them. He says, I've learned to have nothing. And he's speaking from experience to the Philippians. 
He also says, I've learned how to be content. And then he said, I have had plenty in my life. And I've learned how to be content with that as well. Nothing or plenty. I've learned how to be content in both. See, come to find out, contentment has hardly anything to do with our possessions. Now, we say in our head, well, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But our life, you know, kind of tells us something different sometimes, doesn't it? Contentment is not found in amassing possessions. As a matter of fact, if you really want to be unhappy, start amassing possessions. Because I guarantee it won't lead you to contentment. I promise that. You won't find it. And you will be more unhappy tomorrow than you are today. When we moved to California in 1994, we lived in an apartment and Lisa was making, and I'll tell you how much, she was making $48,000 in the Bay Area. We were living high in the hog. But soon we realized, that's like making like eighteen, fifteen thousand 15000 here because the Bay Area is really expensive, especially at that time when it came to, to homes and, and groceries and even the gas is more expensive and all that kind of stuff. We looked at homes at, at one point and said, $300,000, we can never afford that. We have friends up there that are not very happy. Man, they have everything. Making a ton of money, half a million dollar house, one million dollar house, means nothing to them. They, they have it all. Yet they're so unhappy. See, if your goal is gaining possessions or more money, then you will never be content in this life. Thomas Carlyle said that for every 100 men who could stand adversity, there's only one who could stand prosperity. A good life, a contented life with Christ, includes suffering as well as comfort. It includes wealth and poverty that only God knows how to work into our lives, how to fit it in there. One thing I've learned is you don't have to own the forest to go out and to enjoy it, right? I love nature. I don't have to own a home in Hawaii. I can go visit. Though at one point I was sitting there going, man, it'd be nice to own a vacation home there, wouldn't it? Contentment. I can go up here to see the trees. I don't have to own the forest. We don't have to own everything. Just have a friend that has it and enjoy that. Now, I could move on in the scripture, but, <laughs> but we really don't have time. So let's evaluate this. One of the things you do when you go to a personal trainer is that they evaluate the excess fat that you have on your body. And it's, it's such a lovely thing to go through that evaluation, okay? But the trainer may say to you, no, 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 you, just, you don't have too much fat. You just need to get rid of a little. You just need to tone some more. Because a little fat is healthy for the body. You know, the right amount of fat is good for us, okay? And that is what we're going for spiritually. We're not saying that there should be no fat. How dare you go on that vacation? How dare you own that certain item? How dare you, how dare you, how dare you? If that was the criteria, none of us would ever be happy whatsoever. The Lord wants to provide for us. At certain times, He gives us more, certain times less. But we're going for the right amount. The right amount of fat covering the muscles and organs is a good thing. It helps protect you. 
if you don't have the right amount of fat in your face, what, you look dead and gone. You look withdrawn, right? You ever seen somebody who's, the, you know, the, the, the kind of, all that fat's kind of gone away? But at the same time, you know, a face that's way huge fat doesn't look healthy either, right? So you understand what I'm saying. When God looks at us, he sees us spiritually. And when it comes time for us to run the race, if we're too fat spiritually, we won't make it that far, will we? We'll have to drop out. We won't make it to our goal or to that place where we could have had we been more disciplined. So the physical analogy also is a spiritual one. If all we're doing is sitting and listening to worship, listening to me speak, and sometimes laughing out loud at my wonderful jokes that you all enjoy so much, and if we don't ever take on any type of ministry, like service to our kids and youth, or giving to God what is already His, we become really fat and we become unhealthy. And this is where, we, where, where I and we want to press you to, become, you know, to, to have some spiritual exercise in your life. I've been around church all my life. And I'll tell you one thing that, that's irritated me pretty much my whole life. I hate it when people get pressured into doing something. They kind of corner you, and you feel like there's no way out. And you're thinking in your brain, I'm trying to get out of this, and I can't see a way to say no. And you feel that pressure. So I've done the opposite. I've, I try not to pressure anybody into anything because I want you to be happy about serving. But I'm finding out it's allowing us to get fat sometimes. If the trainer never pressures, pressures you, you're not going to get into better shape. So I'm not going to apologize to the fact that, that I want you to give more money to God's kingdom, more of your time, more of your energy, more of your effort both physically and mentally, to something that benefits others and not yourself. And I want you to know that, you know, as your pastor, the reason I do this is for your own benefit. It's crazy that we have to beg for, you know, beg for help in our children's ministry. You can't tell me we can't find four adults that can trade off once a Sunday to help out in children's ministry. Now, I think we got two or three right now. We could always use more help. But you can't tell me we don't, we don't have that. We need to start pressuring each other saying, well, where are you serving? What are you doing? And it sounds like I'm beating you on the head, but I'm just trying to say, like a personal trainer, a few more reps, guys. Come on, let's do this. The side effect of pushing you would be this, that we develop a, a reputation and a ministry in our community as a church that gets it. That people respect us in that way that they want to come. They want to hear the word of God. They want to worship with us. They want to serve along beside us. Our very life as a church body is connected to this. We need to be healthy and balanced. That's what God is going for. Healthy and balanced. So let's look at our lives. Let's evaluate our life. It's the beginning of the year. You know, it's a good time to do that. To say... What excess do I have? What fat do I have in my life? Where do I need to go spiritually? No, I'm not saying... In some ways, I am kind of doing that. But I want to encourage you. Serve the Lord. 
Now, I mean, it's very difficult when it comes to money. I don't want you to put yourself into debt to give money to God. If that's the case, you need to evaluate where you're spending your money totally. That's not the point. I don't want you to sacrifice all your time on learning about God because you're forever over in children's ministry and you're locked into that job forever and you're never going to get out of it and you'll never ever hear another sermon, never get any spiritual nourishment, never be able to worship again. No, we don't want that either. There's got to be balance in our healthiness as a church as we grow spiritually. That's what the challenge is. That's what the challenge is. Well, it's time for today. Why don't we pray? Lord, as we evaluate our lives, we pray that you show us the areas that, we want to, that you want us to serve in. You show us the areas where you want us to improve in spiritually and physically and mentally. That as we say, I will follow you, as we say, you are my Lord, that you turn around and we wait to hear what you want us to do in this life. That there will be times when we give more. There will be times when we give less. There'll be times when we serve. There'll be times when we sit back and, and relax and, and rejuvenate. But Lord, that we would never get so spiritually fat that you would call us a kicking dog that can't walk anymore. Lord, your love is so overwhelming and we'd love to feel the, the hugs but as my two-year-old knows, we love to scream when we don't get our way. And I pray, Lord, we don't scream at you. We don't pout. We don't cry. We listen to you when you discipline us. Because you're a loving Father that loves his children. And sometimes you're lifting us up in the air and twirling us around. We're having the greatest time. And other times you're disciplining us and giving us a time out. Or telling us not to do something. You do that because you love us. And I pray that we understand that love, that you want great things from us, and all we need to do is listen to you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may you see his greatness this week, the greatness of, of, of you in our lives, Lord. May we see that. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.